0: Hi guys, I have now started the live. I hope you can see me. Yes. Hey guys. Hi Siddharth. Aryan. Hey Aryan. Good to see you back. Hey Stella. Abel. Gauri. Gaur Prachi Gaur. Hi Prachi Gaur. Hello. Punjabi Bania, nice one, nice handle Alka Bhatt Pandya, hello, hi Hi Sakina, good to see you here Hi Lakshmi, hi, hello Nam sunai Sunayne Hoga, hello Hello Sabahat And we will just wait for our guest to join us here Uh, Hi Crimson Sky. Hi Prem. Hi Aranya. Hi Shivani. Hello. Useless. Okay, I'm not sure what's useless about Mm, you joining this session, Aryan. I'm going to make sure you find it extremely useful by the end of this next 60 minutes. Um, Quick introduction. Hi guys. Oh, hi people, Bella. Good to see you. Uh, I'm going to add you in now. If you can just send me in. See you again. Nice name. bella has sent me a request. Already. Okay. And it says Peeperbella is unable to join. Bella, maybe you want to send me another request. And while that's going on, guys, I'm just going to give a quick introduction. Um, most of you know, my name is Vibha Kogzi, And I am the founder and chief education officer at ReachIV.com. At REACH IV, we work with students and help them attain their study abroad and career aspirations. Um, We started a series called House of Experts to, you know, really assist people in figuring out their journeys. Because I truly believe that learning through someone else's experience is very valuable. So we invite every Saturday a guest from the industry who talks about their journeys so that you can omit all the mistakes they made and hopefully mimic their success. So let's now add Shuchi on board. Will you give resume points for MBA? So Komal, uh, Shuchi is actually also a Wharton MBA. And hello. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you? Very good. Hello, Ahilya, Amisha. Hey, guys. Anjana. Good to see you guys here. Alright, so guys, as you are starting to warm up and just settle in on this Saturday evening, i going to first quickly introduce my very special guest for today, um, Shuchi Pandya. Hey, <laughs> Double back to you. I
1: know. I know. It's been so long.
0: Boomeranging back twice the amount of love. Um, uh, so, Shuchi Pandya, as most of you know, is the Founder of Bella. Um in a quick span of ten years, Shuji has grown People Bella and I, you know, I've seen her journey from the very start to where she's managed to get it now. So, firstly, Shuji, congratulations to you! It's been an incredible journey. I, I, is, I
1: love you. You've been amazing in all the conversations we've had as well. So you've I, been you've been part I, of it.
0: I, I've learned from every conversation with I've had with you. I've been the one on the receiving end, just so that you know. I have learned a tremendous amount from you with every conversation. So. No, it's uh,
1: been both ways for sure. So, so the, thank these you. These guys
0: yeah. are in for a real treat, um, you know, I, don't, I, I think they have no idea what they're, what they're you know, in for. So I'm really excited to have you on the show. So guys, Came as here. you know, in 10 years, Shuchi has uh, reached the number one spot in 10 categories across uh, her, her line in jewellery. What she did is uh, tapped into, you know, the youth and uh, figured out that they really were looking for uh, low price jewellery, but extremely fashionable. And I'm not going to get into her business and spoil it for you. I'm going to let her just talk about, you know, her strategy with Paper Bella. Uh, she was also nominated for top 25 startups uh, in Singapore and also won an award by Google. Um, in addition to uh, running Piper Bella, she, she also has an adorable daughter. And uh, while she does imitation jewelry, um, when she speaks, she's actually very real. So you guys are in for some real, real learnings from her in this next 60 minutes. So Chooji, without much ado, first question over to you. Um, Just, you know, walk me through the journey. I know you went to Bombay International School, you know, and then university and all that. So just sort of, you know, tell us about your early years. What were you like as a kid and, you know, tell us the journey.
1: Sure. So I was, uh, I grew up in Bombay uh, with in a family of jewelers. So I think business was always ingrained in my, in my, uh, in my okay, blood. You, it was a,
0: it was a family of jewelers. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I mean, jewelry kind of runs in my blood, you know, it's it's one of those things that I like walking out of the house without jewelry on my dad would just look at me like, what is wrong with you? You know. <laughs> uh, but I, I grew up in a family of jewelers. Business was always something I knew that I would get into. Uh, so unlike a lot of families where, you know, you think about the medical profession or the legal profession, or you just think about, you know, what your interest is, I always knew for me it was business. Uh, and uh, as a kid, I was really studious. I mean, I was very like, you know, academic oriented, I, In fact, I was actually not street smart at all. You know, I, I, I just focused largely on getting good grades, um, you know, getting into a good school, getting into a good college. Um, and very, very much by the book. Uh, but somewhere along the lines, maybe in my mid-20s, uh, I, I started hitting a wall, right? I think, and I think a lot of people uh, in their mid-20s get to that stage where you're like, you start questioning what you're doing. And I was working in my family business at the time. Um, and, you know, really my interest was much more around, uh, you know, doing something for uh, the young um, generation of India. You know, And I was seeing that in my own taste and sensibilities and my own ability to Uh, find something in India for for myself and my friends, it was, there was just really nothing there. So I just kept thinking, you know, I want to do something. And there was this itching feeling that, you know, uh, there's, there's an opportunity to to tap into, uh, you know, a different segment of jewelry. Uh, So my family, by the way, was into fine jewelry, right? So this was, this is very different. Um, So then I decided to go to Wharton and do my MBA. I actually randomly even applied. I think MBA for me was not on the charts because, again, as as, you know, uh, when you come from a family business, you don't think MBA. right? You just think like, you know, like how can you make the next big
0: deal? Um, And so I I said, okay, I'm going to take a break. So going into the MBA, did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur or did you think you would sort of go and experiment or?
1: Yeah. I mean, I knew that I would eventually become an entrepreneur, but I did keep an open mind. I I said, you know what, maybe, you know, this is an opportunity for me to reset. Uh, And maybe if I, you know, uh, if I'm back in the US and uh, I did my undergrad in the US as well at NYU Stern. So that was again, very business. Uh, And I said, you know, maybe, maybe if I, uh, you know, if I go back to the US, I can, I can look at opportunities where, you know, I can learn something new, right? Because this, this, you know, you, when you hit that wall uh, in your twenties, you kind of I, you, you I was I was kind of almost pushed to reset and start from scratch um, and so then I, I did I actually I I kept a super open mind I tried everything from uh, I you know I went to like all these information sessions on PE and VC fund like VC firms and I, I even did like I banking info sessions oh, wow. like, okay. like everything right like I was like let okay. me just see what where where this goes Sure, and I think after two years, you know, my heart was still in entrepreneurship, so it it brought me back to where my roots were, and and um, that's when I decided to come back. And over the between my first and second year, I, I interned at a, at another jewelry company in uh, the U.S. called Stella and Dot, and mm-hmm. Stella and Dot is um, you know large VC funded. Uh, startup in San Francisco and you know they did a lot of uh, imitation jewelry and they had a very interesting this, this was your
0: my, internship while at business this school. was my
1: internship yeah yeah okay. and I then came back to India during my summer as well and I did some you know quick tests on like you know a quick pilot as well in terms of you know if I were to start my own thing like you know what was the uh, market like and I think the good thing about business school is that you develop all these toolkits right like you develop right. all these frameworks and you study them and you're you know you, you kind of uh, you have this insane um, amount of resources available to you you know so you can you can literally like take an idea and bounce like email your professor about it and he'll give you he or she will give you like five different ways to think about that problem which which I, like honestly, you don't get if you're just, um, you know, an entrepreneur trying to make it, right? So mm-hmm. being in business school and trying to start a company was, was fantastic. I was, you know, knocking on doors of professors, trying to, uh, you, you know, run them by my business ideas. And I even took a couple of classes on business, um, you know, on, on entrepreneurship in general, like areas where I felt I was lacking. Like I took a venture capital class, for example, uh, and all those things really oh. helped
0: I think in the Okay, so uh, you, you know, streamlined your thing. you streamlined the MBA experience towards yeah,
1: entrepreneurship. Yeah. Okay. You really captured yes, so all my, the
0: resources at Wharton. Huh? Wow. Okay. In my in
1: my second year, yeah. In you know, second, because okay. I think by this after my summer I pretty much knew I was gonna go back. And so, you know, I, I decided that, you know, okay, now it's time for me to take advantage. I have one year to take advantage of all these resources that Wharton's given or Wharton has. Um, and I did you know, I I, I think I, I really sort of Explored, you know, all the different. Now, now they have a lot more. But back then, you sure. know, even then it was very different. And uh, you know, we did things like we would, uh, like, they, like there was a company called Rent the Runway and uh, yeah. a bunch of other uh, startups um, it's, it's actually started by a bunch of uh, HBS alum as yeah. well. All based out of New York, and being in Philly, you know, I would drive down to New York, and through the Water Network, I would get opportunities to talk to the founders. Oh, wow. you know, and so you know, these are the things that I think really exposed me because I think the U.S. at the time, and even still, is going through a very Uh, It's very different. Right. It's like they they, they have a very evolved way of looking at business models, Uh, you know, and uh, and so, you know, I said, can I can I look at some of these business models and see what would what could be applicable in the Indian context. In India. Okay, Yeah. And uh, e-commerce at the time was very new and I had no tech background whatsoever. You know, I, Mm. I only knew jewelry. Uh, and said, so I said, let me let me see what I can do, uh, you know, on the tech front. And Flipkart and Amazon, Amazon had ju- not even entered when I when I came back. Uh, sure. And Flipkart was very young; uh, they were definitely not at the level they were. Mintra was just it's, Mintra kind of picked up around 2012-2013. So, uh, in general, e-commerce was, I would say, uh, at its very early stages when I moved okay. back in 2012. Uh, so the first couple of years was very bootstrapped. We, you know, we had pretty much just my own savings that I put into the business, uh, and I said, "Let me try and see where this goes." And uh, you know, we were very organic. We, the one good decision we made was we hired a really uh, good PR agency, and it wasn't like a fancy PR agency. It was actually just a bunch of two girls who were also very entrepreneurial. I mean, they were just starting up and. They wanted to prove themselves, and uh, and as a result, you know, it was it was amazing because, uh, you know, they were working hard to to build to promote our brand, uh, and uh, you know, it, it was a kind of some, we were both feeding off of each other with this entrepreneurial energy that that we both sure. shared, uh, and that really helped. I think PR at an early stage of a startup really helps because you know you don't have much money to advertise, you don't have much money to. Get a celebrity on board, but if you can get a PR agency who can put you in touch with the right connects, um, I think I think for a brand it's really
0: critical. Okay, uh, so, so that, just just to so yeah. get it right, so you you use the Wharton MBA to sort of flesh out your startup. Did you yeah. end up graduating Wharton knowing that this was it? Like you would be in the e-commerce space and retailing jewelry. No, no. So I actually just I just okay. knew I'd be in jewelry, right? I just in said jewelry. Okay, okay. I I had
1: this vision that I wanted to target. It was a very simple vision. I said that, look, I think women need jewelry uh, that's affordable. I think that the options out there are uh, limited and it's a very disorganized sector. And it still remains a very disorganized sector. Uh, So can I just convert it into an organized format? Uh, So that was a very simple goal that I had. So that was your
0: thesis. You you realize that the market's disorganized. You realize there's a need for this sort of product. And you realize that there's some need for disruption because there's no one really doing yeah. what you do. Okay, so exactly. that was the basic premise of starting That was off. the
1: basic premise. And we started off not with e-commerce. We started off very organically, just selling. You know, for, we, we hired a bunch or hired, but we kind of developed or created a network of influencers. At that time, influencers were not as, it wasn't as institutionalized as it is today. Uh, so influencers uh, who were bloggers, who are upcoming bloggers, we partnered with them. We got them to talk about our brand with their friends. Uh, to host trunk shows and things like that and and okay. build the brand very organically uh, and it wasn't okay, actually so it, it, 2000... it
0: did not start up as an e commerce venture
1: no no for the first okay. two two and a half years we were very like on the ground uh, and I think that was great okay. because you know I was very involved at that level at that stage to uh, you know I got the opportunity to actually interact with with customers right so ah, it was a okay. very face to face interaction that we had mm. um, which i think e commerce can sometimes you know create that create that barrier. And so I had that opportunity to talk to a lot of customers, learn about what was, what was selling, what was not, et cetera.
0: Um, And and before we jump more into people, Bella, I have a question here from Cobalt 619, who asks, uh, did your undergrad help you more than your post-grad? Do you have um, an answer to that? Like how did the NYU undergrad sort of, you know, was there any skill building there?
1: So yeah, I think, i tell you, I think where undergrad really helps, right? I don't think it helps you in concrete skills. I think where it helps you is broadening your mind, uh, and, mm-hmm. and 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 that's a muscle I think that you know you really need to need to exercise uh, when you're young, uh, especially when you're in your in your uh, late teens. Uh, because I lived in New, I went to NYU, so being in New York was an an amazing exposure it for is. me. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and and I think that I had you know I I think by the end of my four years I was. Uh, the one muscle that I really you know worked and reworked and kind of fine-tuned in my in my head was this muscle of of curiosity you know and sure. and wanting to always um know more about something uh, mm-hmm. and I think uh you know living and being in uh sorry I think I just yeah, but yeah sorry I, there was a bit of a lag yeah yeah so you know I think curiosity uh is really important when you're young and I think it's not important whether you do your uh, whether you do your undergrad in uh, business or you do it in liberal arts just be in an environment uh, and surround yourself with people where you know you can you can they 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 push you to be open minded uh, and secondly, i think also learning um, uh, learning how to problem solve but I, I don't mean problem solve in the sense of you know like a consultant type of method. Sure. but uh, you know, learning how to connect the dots between one situation and another. I
0: think these okay. are two areas where undergrad can really help. So uh, so one was curiosity and then the other was just sort of learning how to join the dots. And yeah. of course, being in New York, you were super exposed to like the whole big city in yeah. New York. Okay,
1: cool. Yeah, Sounds So I think good. that street smartness came in, right? With New York, like okay. I think like I told you earlier, I was very academic and I was sheltered right. living okay. in India. Uh, and and New York really opened me up, and it it opened up that whole sort of uh, level of oh you know I can do this. So it built my confidence to that level, sure. which I think is very critical. Business school was was hardcore technical skills for me. Uh, it okay. doesn't have to be for a lot of people, uh, but for me it was very it was it was really about about building very specific uh, skills.
0: Okay, cool. And then you know you said you came back, and for about two years or so you were sort of doing these trunk shows meeting your yeah. consumer, trying to understand the customer and his mindset. Uh, in these two, two, three, in, the, in your, the initial phase, what are some of the biggest challenges we face? Uh, we have a question here from Uf Milchi who says, what were some of the major challenges while you were sort of growing organically in the beginning?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that building a team is is, is challenging. You know? Um, yeah. you know, when you start a company, I think one of the things that you don't really know is what kind of people do you want to hire? Mm-hmm. Right, like you know, you don't know from the onset, like okay, this, these are the these are the people I need, uh, and right. this is the job description. Because frankly, for example, mm-hmm. like I didn't know if I needed a graphic designer full time or whether I could do it one part time. Sure.
0: Uh, I didn't know so if because you're also I need... sort of managing your resources and team building.
1: You're managing your resources and also, frankly, you don't know. You can't. You don't, you, you can't anticipate the level of work, right? Sure. So so sometimes what you really need are just people who are willing to do everything. You know, so you right. need people who are self-starters. You need people who are passionate, who people who who don't say, "Oh no, this is not in my job description," right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think finding those kind of people is very challenging. I mean, you you know, you sit in front, you sit in an interview. You're an entrepreneur, right, Vibha? Like you right. sit in an interview, you you interview someone. You don't know if they're gonna if they have sure. that passion, right, for or that, right. uh, that sort of um, uh, you know zest for uh, for doing things or, or for learning, right? Um, right. So I think that was a challenge in the early days. And I think as you get, as you get more uh, sophisticated in your entrepreneurial journey and as you get bigger as well, that's when you start understanding, OK, you know, this is important for me and that's important for me. So I think one of the big mistakes that we made, for example, was, was not, um, you know, so not so, I mean, that seems like a really silly thing. But, you know, in the, in the early days, uh, I don't think we were very clear in our heads about what kind of people we wanted to hire. Sure. Uh, and I think if I had to take it back, you know, take it, uh, I think, I think we could have, if we had been more, if there had been more clarity on that front, I think I would have been able to avoid certain recruiting mistakes, which I think, avo- which I think ended up for me, wasting my time, wasting my resources, wasting my effort. Uh, and, you know, i been been more efficient about it.
0: So, so for uh, someone who's looking to start a business, uh, you know, from the viewers here, and someone looking to just, you know, set up their first initial team you know what yeah. are some one or two pieces of advice that you'd like to share
1: yeah so i think when you're starting your when you're very early starting off uh, i think uh, testing the market like product market fit uh, i think is it's a, it's a very business school word product market fit but sure. you know what it what it essentially means is that you have a product and you have a consumer and you have to ensure that they both like each other uh, you mm-hmm. know, and, and it's it's like it's like you're you're trying to match make two things that uh, that you've created, but you have to in in order to do that, you have to learn a lot about both of them, right? You have to learn a lot about the product, you have to learn a lot about the market, uh, and and I think that's where a lot of efforts should be going early on. I don't think you know early on uh, startups have often make the mistake of focusing a lot on fundraising, you know, in the early days, or focus a lot on like um you know like the glitz and the glamour of, sure. of uh you know the marketing uh front but what you really need is 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 there a fit uh okay. and you
0: know there's a lot of nuance uh stuff that you can do around it uh um, so when you, when you're yeah. saying the fit you mean in terms of like what is your product offering and what is the market looking for and is there yes. a match there Okay. Is there
1: a match there? Yeah, you know, okay. uh,
0: and, I th- and I think often like, you, you know, you
1: might and it's, it's not just like talking to one customer, right? You have to talk to 100 customers to really know that. Uh, when I say mm-hmm. market analysis, you have to really go out there and, and understand, you know, uh, like, for example, you know, we went to the level of understanding, okay, do our customers, uh, are, they, are they the kind of customers who, uh, you know, uh, go to the salon once a week, uh, and get their hair blow dried? Or do they go and get their nails done? You know, because oh, wow. this is really important for us to understand, okay, are they uh, looking more for earrings or are they looking more for rings? You know, if they're getting wow. their nails done every week, yeah. then, uh, you know, they're most likely probably looking for rings to to, to like show off their nails, uh, you know, and if you're getting your hair blow dry, then you probably want to like show off your earrings or your necklace, you know. So, so I think just really understanding who the customer is and then seeing, you know, how the product can match uh, mm-hmm. that customer in my mind is critical.
0: Okay, wow. So it, it sounds sort of rudimentary and sounds sort of sort of commonsensical, but yeah. a lot of people just miss out on just figuring out product and consumer match. And that's something you realize that uh, quite early on, I mean, doing mm-hmm. that sort of detailed survey really um, is quite remarkable.
1: Yeah, and you know, it doesn't have to be fancy, right? We didn't have money to like recruit AC you Nielsen know. to do this, right? I mean, we right. basically like, ha- we, we were just, I, I actually got like a bunch of my sister's friends Uh, in a coffee shop because they were my TG and I said hey guys like I will give you free jewelry why don't you come and talk to me for like an hour you know and I would sit with them and I would I talk to them and and did that like seven times over uh, till I had reached out to about 50 guys you know and and you know I think it's very simple dipstick stuff Uh, doesn't have to be fancy at all um, in the early days uh, you know and and it'll give you enough insight if you have the ability to like I said connect the dots and the dots. Okay. So it'll give you enough
0: insight to, to start building something. Okay. Getting you know, her education, uh, getting all the soft skills, the hard skills, the exposure, then coming back and then trying to assess the need in the market and then developing a product that sort of matched that need. Um, yeah. What happens next? So you know, how did you go about then sort of building and scaling up the team?
1: Yeah. So in 2015, I raised my first round of funding and that was pretty much my journey into uh, the VC world. But also I had committed to a path. I think when you, when you, when you, and we've talked about this before, right? Like we've talked about, should we get VC funding? Should we not get VC funding? You know, when you get, when you get external investors on board, uh, you know, you're basically committing to a path. And that path is that, hey, you no longer have a boss. I mean, you're no no longer your own boss. You have a boss Mm -hmm. now. Uh, yeah. that boss is your investor uh, yeah. and, uh, you know, they have a reason why they've invested in you because they, they think that they can make money from your business and your company and they will want an exit. Um, so that means that you have to drive the business in a direction that will eventually give them, a, give them an exit. Uh, and what that essentially means is that, you know, you suddenly have growth targets, you have, uh, you know, certain, um, certain benchmarks and certain metrics that need to be tracked more regularly. And there are pros and cons to this whole path, right? The pros are that uh, I think you can, uh, you know, you can, you can actually develop a lot of governance around the company, you know, so you you become a lot more disciplined about measuring certain uh, aspects of the business and uh, tracking them regularly so that, you sure. know, you, you're growing in a certain way. Because those
0: are the metrics your venture capitalist is also sort of mapping with you. Exactly.
1: So So you sit every month with them and you map these metrics. So you're so you know, you're kind of having these metrics in the back of your head. But then the con is that, you know, you 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 are answerable to somebody and, uh, you know, you have to grow, you have to show that growth and you have to prove yourself a lot more Mm -hmm. than if you were just making this into like a lifestyle business. Uh, And so you have to decide and I think we took the decision that look, you know, this was uh, it was now or never, I was young, I said, you know, if I, I, I can, I, if I have to, you know, raise money, then, uh, you know, let me do this and see, you know, uh, how I can, how I can realize the vision that I had for Pipabella uh, into something bigger. Uh, so I raised my first round, it was a small equity, it was a small angel round, was uh, about, okay. you know, uh, I think, uh, about $250,000. So um, maybe at that time around, you know, 1.2 crores or something, right. uh, yeah. you know, not a whole lot. Uh, I mean, not, not like the millions that people are raising today, right? Um, and, uh, you know, that, that was actually when my journey into e-commerce began. Um, and I think that it was fantastic because we brought tech, we, we hired a whole tech team. Um, and we started pushing ourselves into the tech, into the e-commerce world. So, so
0: we started- So you off raised by... this money and the first thing you did is you used the money to so team build, basically.
1: Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. So, because I, I think tech was, it was, it was pretty, uh, pretty clear that if I had to, if I had to use, uh, if I had to grow, then, you know, I couldn't rely on this whole show model, which was, sure. you know, very uh, organic and things like that. So I had to have some sort of. Uh,
0: okay. Uh, so diverse... you raise the money and you say, okay, we got to scale if we're going to raise money. Venture capitalist looking for return on his capital for yeah. you know this, this sort of ROI. You need scale. If you need scale, yeah. you need. Tech. If you need tech, you need tech people. Okay, fine. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So okay. tech
1: people, those first people are hired. Then the next thing you did was, uh, you know, you figure out like where you're going to get your customers from, right? Um, and obviously, you know, the, the the two ways you can do it. You're either looking at an organic way, which which is, you know, you continue doing what you're doing, which is, you know, uh, talking to influencers, going on a more, um, you know, below the line, uh, you know, type of uh, stuff, uh, you know, which is like it's like BTL activities, you know, like uh,
0: yeah.
1: go to theaters, go to schools, go to colleges and, and do that kind of stuff. Or then you do more uh, paid marketing, which is your Facebook, Google, yeah. uh, and you promote ads and, you know, acquire users. So we had we developed a sort of balance between the two. And we started spending money on marketing, acquiring new users. Then the question is how do you retain those users. Right. So then you start developing the metrics around retention. Uh, sure. So first there's acquisition metrics, then there's retention metrics. Um, and now you've got now you've actually got a business, right? Because now mm. you're like, you're, you know, you've got you've got people who are who are entering. So imagine like there's a funnel, right? right. And the funnel, the funnel, the, the, the bottom of the funnel is is where your where your sa- your sale is happening. And you've got, wow. you know, you've got various ways in which you're feeding this funnel uh, you know whether it's uh, you know through Facebook, Google, all these organic ways, right. and then you have to figure out how that user on your website is going to get to a sale, right? So how sure. is he going to he or she going to go down that funnel? Um, mm-hmm. So that became sort of the biggest thing that we that we uh, you know we became obsessed with at Pipavala was the acquisition and retention funnel, and um, and even till the till date, uh, and a lot of e-commerce companies will will have this kind of a funnel, but uh you know even till date uh you know we we think about things either as an as an acquisition funnel or a retention funnel uh mm-hmm. you know and and how do you uh you know how do you develop activities around either one of those uh so um so yeah so you know that that became a big learning for us from i would say maybe around 2015 to about 2018 uh, okay. at the same time we were also so it, so this it, was it, the... it
0: sounds it sounds very sort of technical it sounds very uh, detail oriented you know, on the surface, it looks like you're just running this like really cool jewelry company, which has all these amazing designs. Yeah. Uh, but what I'm hearing, and you know, a lot, uh, for, for people who are listening, you know, like what what do you see on the surface is this really fashionable, trendy jewelry company. Uh, the this is the sort of backstage view, right? The backstage view is like, really serious, technical, analytical uh, approach to building businesses, and understanding really understanding the consumer psyche, and really understanding your various marketing channels and seeing how those funnel through so this this looks yeah. like a very sort of detail oriented approach to running the company it's it's not just a you know like you, yeah, and you that started is, that this was project.
1: my yeah that was my way of running it you know and i think that i think that's also because of my personality was a lot more about uh, you know making sure that everything is data driven you know so any sure. decision you make had to be driven by okay show me where the numbers are if it makes sense then we'll do it uh, you know, sure. and if it and if there was not enough proof uh, around it, then we drop it. You know, so it's not about oh okay. yeah, just you know. So so and I think a lot of other you know entrepreneurs are very intuitive and they don't care so much about numbers. But this was at least my way of saying that okay, you know, it has to be backed by uh, and this is again business school education right coming in. So sure. um, so I think that that approach by, not numbers okay yeah yeah backed by right. numbers. Um, and then at the same time, you know, in twenty between twenty fifteen and twenty eighteen, we were also working on our supply chain because we had, mm-hmm. um, you know, so we had to work on making sure, uh, you know, we were building our our manufacturing capabilities, you know, to 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 handle the scale. We were we were also making sure that you know we had uh, you know building relationships with vendors. Um, we were automating okay. some of those processes at the same time. So tech was playing a role not only on the front end, you know, on the acquisition okay. side, but so, also you on know,
0: the on, supply chain. On the tech side, you know, I'm curious to understand. I, uh, you, I know you have a business background. You went to NYU and Morton and stuff. Um, and you run essentially, you know, running an e-commerce business is essentially running a technology company, right? So yeah. do you as a CEO, founder, feel challenged in terms of, uh, you know, not really knowing how to code? Uh, Do you you see that as a disadvantage or do you see it as an advantage that, you know, I don't really, you can easily sort of outsource and hire out the tech, but uh, you can't really outsource this sort of, you know, managerial analytical thinking. So where are you on that spectrum?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I'm actually really glad I'm not a tech person. Uh, okay. I think that if I were a tech person, I'd be micromanaging like my entire tech team, like a lot, yeah. uh, you know, and I think the fact that I I don't understand tech has allowed me to delegate and trust uh, right. the tech team, you know, and and, and that's allowed me to uh, kind of focus on the things that, uh, you know, I'm really good at, uh, you know, and, and focus on the areas which are which are my strengths. So, Rather than trying to, you know, uh, be, in a, be in an area where I don't understand or even, you know, try to develop my strengths there, I played to my strengths
0: um,
1: huh. and just delegated where, you know, I felt necessary. So but, I actually but, don't think that. Know,
0: yeah. for, for someone who's considering starting off an e-commerce venture, yeah. do you think, uh, you know, not knowing technology is a disadvantage? Do you think not knowing technology um, is a skill set that they should quickly, you know, sort of, last spawn or is it okay you know do you feel okay running this
1: yeah so look I think that you have to I don't think that you know when you say not knowing technology right I think that I think that if you're a complete tech dinosaur like you don't know anything about technology at all then I think yes you should spend a little bit of time uh, you know understanding it right because there will be times when you know whether you're in, in a VC meeting or whether even if you're not raising funding and you're doing this on your own where you where you will have to have discussions around technology with your team, or, or you know, sure. or you will have to know where the limitations of technology, uh, what the limitations of technology are, and where, you know how far technology can take you in terms of your your business operations. So I think that uh, I think understanding that is important, you know. Sure. Um, but I don't think you need to be an expert for sure. Okay. Uh, you know, I think that you there are there are lots of resources now. Uh, you know, and, and also by the way, like like you know. Uh, the tech world is, is evolving so fast. And, 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 you know, there are new languages that come up every year, right? So mm-hmm. as
0: an entrepreneur, it's very I difficult
1: to, to keep,
0: okay, you know, uh, like, in touch like with all of when that. When you started in 2012, had you hypothetically studied computer science, you would have obviously learned a very different, very different languages, different platforms. Yeah. So in any ways, the knowledge would have gotten sort of redundant. So unless you keep up with tech. Exactly, exactly. Okay, exactly. so... So the message I'm getting here for entrepreneurs is like, if you want to jump into a technical business or e-commerce, et cetera, it's okay yeah. to not know the nuances of technology, as long as you understand basically how tech works. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll quickly take a, a question here from Aditya Agarwal. Um, you know, I, I just, I'm going to paraphrase this question in terms of like, you know, when you started out, you were doing certain things and like eight, 10, 12 years into the business, Uh, how do you see your role evolve? You know, how how are you sort of, how are you managing then and how are you managing now?
1: So back then I was doing like, I was getting myself involved in everything. And I I still to some extent, sometimes do that now today as well, Um, especially like when you're troubleshooting and firefighting. Uh, but back then, so you're, think,
0: you're saying back then you had your hands in sort of everything, right? You were yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. I mean, you, are, you get your hands dirty in everything. And, sure. uh, you know, you're, I was at one point a time packing gifts and, you know, talking to customers. I, 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 can, I, can, I
0: can totally relate. Yeah. Like, you, you basically, yeah. like, because we're so quality conscious and if yeah. we've got our name, you know, sort of next to something and if it's our own baby, we're just yeah. going to make sure that, like, you know, to the best of our abilities, nothing's going to go wrong. So this, this yeah. sentiment I completely relate to.
1: Yeah. And I think also the more you do things, uh, one, one thing I realized is that, you know, when you're doing things on your, like yourself, so as an your CEO, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, you're always the most vested. You, you're going to be sure. way more vested than, you know, your team is. Right. So you are you, like you're looking for efficient ways to do things. Your team. Sure. If you just tell them, "Hey, listen, you know this is what you, this is your job. This is what you're supposed to do." They're just going to do that, right? I mean, not right. everyone, but you know, like a lot of people sure. will. So, as a result of it, you know, as an entrepreneur, when you get involved in that process, you begin to understand, okay, where are things going wrong? Where are things falling apart? Where are they breaking? And then you can fix it, uh, you
0: know, because sure. you have that mentality of of trying to fix it.
1: Um, and, okay. And, so and initially,
0: think, you sort of you had your hands in pretty much everything. Yeah, And then how did that evolve? How did that change over time? Or has it? Yeah, so yeah, so it has, it
1: it definitely has. I think that, you know, uh, I'm I'm a lot more on the strategy side now. Um, I think a lot more about uh, larger picture stuff. I think a lot more about, uh, you know, where is the, what is the goal? Uh, How are we going to execute on that goal? Um, I think about the sort of two year, three year plan, whereas maybe, you know, seven, eight years ago, it was more about, okay, uh, you know, what is the five-month plan? What is the six-month plan? Yeah. Uh, and okay. so so I think in that sense, you know, that, that role has evolved quite a bit. Um, you know, I also think a lot more today about culture and team building than I did maybe back in the day, uh, you, know, okay. um, uh, you know, like how do we, what do we, what do we really stand for as a company? You know, what is the brand? What, you know, what? what is the philosophy? I think a lot of that comes in now, which before, you know, you don't think about so much.
0: Okay. um yeah so you went from like very sort of micro nitty-gritty managing the company yeah. to now thinking sort of big picture three-year vision brand
1: strategy et yeah yeah okay. and you know i mean and i think i think your role it, it evolves mm-hmm. but it's you know you sometimes still have to be pulled back into that every day right because sure. you need to be in touch with you know what's happening on ground and the realities sure. of things as well so okay
0: so you you, you get pulled into it time and again but like yeah largely you're saying that that's the role shift okay I, yes. I hope that answered your question we have a compliment from Kunal Nagyan who says "Suji, you have a great team and you guys are doing a very good job thank you Kunal for your compliment thank you thank you Kunal there's been really lots of compliments it. along the way about the collection and how much people love it I'm um, gonna pick up a quick question here from Anika Tarika who says did you ever lose faith? Uh, that your business wasn't growing or anything of that sort? Did you ever have so, this moment of questioning where you were like, what am I doing and why? Yeah, all the time.
1: <laughs> all the time? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want the honest answer, right? Like, um, I think entrepreneurs are like, uh, and right, I, know, I know very few entrepreneurs who are like so self-confident that they know every, that they think yeah. sure, that they're 100% sure of every single decision that they've made. Um yeah, I mean, you, there's a lot of self doubt, and the journey is is filled with, uh, you know, am I doing this right? You know, do I have what it takes? Um, right. All of that. Um, but you know, I think what what you know, it's it's stuff like this, right? Like it's it's customers who say that you know, uh, you know, I love the I love the product. I love I love what you guys do. I love the collection. It kind of motivates you to keep going, right? Uh, and and you you feel like okay yeah you know I've created something then let me let me mm. let me go and do it and let me build on it it's kind of like building a wall right like you're sure. you're putting one brick then you're you know you wake up the next day and you put another brick you're not gonna you're not gonna build that wall overnight you're not gonna build that structure overnight you know um, mm. and every day you have to, you know you have to motivate yourself okay let me just add one more let me just add one more uh, you know and and. You, know, you, you eventually get to a point where you're like, okay, now I feel I feel good about things, you know. You can see that wall coming up finally. Yeah, or that wall or structure, or whatever it is that you're, you're whatever yeah. that vision you had in your head for something, you know, you can see it coming in front of you. Whereas before, you know, like it, 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 it takes effort, you know, in the mornings to wake up and be like, oh yeah, you know, I have to do this, even though like there's so much uh, that I have to fix and there's so many issues and there's this and that. And sure. you're like, oh, you know, do I really have what it takes to do that? You know, uh, i like even with fundraising, okay. for example. Like, I didn't think I had what it take what it took at all to fundraise. And then you know, you just build your confidence slowly, slowly, and and you get there. You know?
0: Okay, great, uh, Anika. I hope that answered your question. You know, she 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 talked about it. Right? Like, it's natural to go through the highs and the lows and sort of the self doubt, uh, but you sort of brick by brick build yourself up there. Okay, I'm gonna take a quick question here from Naam Tosuna Hinahi Hoga who says, as the founder of this popular brand, how do you maintain good relationships with all your consumers, considering that you have such a large customer base? Okay, I think this is a really good question. Yeah. Um, you know, talk talk a little bit about your customers and you know, what what's worked, what hasn't worked, you know, what sort of issues are you still sort of struggling with and how do you how do you manage all of that? Because this is really a consumer centric business.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, so I think with consumers, you have to maintain a very authentic voice. Uh, this is one something we learned probably a little bit more recently, you know, and I'll give you an example, right? Like, um, like with the law, for example, COVID, right? Um, COVID has led to a whole bunch of issues, like in terms of uh, getting the product to the consumer on time. Uh, right. And it's not, and a lot of that is not, Was um, majority of that is actually not, uh, completely in our control, right? Because you give the product to a third-party career company and then they they take it to some city and then, you know, that city suddenly goes into lockdown um, and then you're not able to, uh, you know, you're not able to get the product to the customer. You know, in situations like this, I think talking to the customer, uh, preempting a situation, ensuring that, uh, you know, the, the customer is... Um, uh, is, is well aware of the realities on ground and being very honest about it. So I think having an authentic okay. voice with your customer is super important.
0: Uh, okay, and so like something okay. that, authentic voice, uh, connectivity, sort of you know, yeah. staying in touch and communicating, like keeping yes. your channels of communication open. Okay. Yes, yes. Uh, and I think that, you know, just being honest, right?
1: I mean, if you're not able to do something, then, you know, just, just be honest that, listen, I can't, you know, this is not going to be possible. So for example, one of the things we did was we were very short-staffed on our customer service, right? We said that right. how do we handle this? Uh, because we have you know all these orders that we have to service, but we we can't like like you know we can't serve, we can't service all the customer service service requests. So what we said was we we you know we actually decided as a as a uh, three-week four-week exercise to actually uh, remove our voice service uh, from the uh, from customer service, right? So we said okay, we're only going to take requests on WhatsApp and we actually okay. explained that to our customers right we said mm-hmm. look it's not that we don't want to talk to you or we're trying to avoid you it's just genuinely that we 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 have we're very short staffed uh you know with covid a lot of our staff has gone away and we we actually had a whole right. explanation for that um, right you know and, and customers understood I and mean, we said that look it will take us 48 hours to get back to you but we promise we will get back to you
0: you know you okay. you, ha- you
1: and so and i think you know it's just stuff like that that i think if you if you communicate to your customers and you tell them these are the issues they understand right, um, so I think that's okay. what that's one of the things that really helps in connecting with the customer uh, building that authenticity okay. uh, so you, you build
0: trust, authenticity, keep yeah. the lines of communication open, yeah, and sort of you just relate the honest truth, saying this is the situation, and you know we're yeah. trying our best look okay. yeah so, so so you know that that that's bringing Shuchi to the business, just keeping this really authentic and real Yeah. okay, mm-hmm. okay cool, yeah. Uh, a quick question here from oh we have a compliment from kunal again your customer support service is very friendly and they have a very friendly nature so i really appreciate really your team sweet. okay that's thank really you kunal full thank of you Kanal. For... yeah that's that's really nice to hear question from anika again uh, what are some of the important things uh, in terms of quality check this is a good question so what kind yeah. of quality check or qc do you do uh, in this sort of business
1: Yeah. So we have QC that happens at the production stage, uh, which is the manufacturing stage. Mm -hmm. And we have a second QC that happens before the dispatch takes place. Um, So Mm -hmm. uh, the production QC is at various stages of production. Um, So for example, if a product is going through, say, five stages, then typically a manufacturer will have a QC person at each of those five stages. Uh, And then finally, uh, so that's one, we call it, we just call it one big, QC check. And then the second QC check actually happens internally at our warehouse where we have, uh, where we have, you know, one, uh, you know, team that checks it before the product is dispatched. Uh, but one of the okay. things actually we did, because I think just, you know, again, being sort of entrepreneurial, um, helped is that, uh, we ended up training our entire warehouse to do QC. Right. So for example, what we found was that, um, you know, uh, like even if, for example, uh, like that we had a, we had a runner, we have a runner. And his job is to just basically collect pieces from the factory uh, and bring it to the warehouse. We even taught him QC. So we said that, you know, before you bring it to the warehouse, you do the QC. Check Yeah, check, right? so And if it's not looking good to you, then don't take the piece from the factory. Right, so I think it's just, you know, having that mentality that, okay, quality control, quality control, uh, you know, uh, it doesn't have to just be one specific team who's doing it. Like, can everybody, you know, learn how to look at something and see if it's working or not?
0: Uh um, okay yeah okay so it, it seems like very detailed qc um yeah every stage of the production process you're yeah. saying you know there there is some sort of qc and checking yeah. okay yeah. um some co- some comments coming up here about you know are you hiring there are some designers who want to work with you and just yeah. otherwise is there is there some sort of hiring policy or something you want to just tell people about so so please so yeah so
1: please Please email us at uh, on marketing at pipabella We actually have um, this really interesting platform that we're building out for jewelry designers. We we know that you know India is 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 a country which is filled with jewelry design talent, uh, and I've seen this firsthand even in my previous uh, work with my with my family business. Um, and so we're building out a really interesting platform that's going to showcase uh, jewelry designers. Um, and allow them to uh, you know display some of their designs and uh, you know if, if you know if an opportunity comes up we will also create some of those designs for our website um, so and it's going to be a very democratic uh, platform that uh, I think everyone will get access to you know completely uh, you know none of that subscription stuff. so um, we're very excited about it. It's probably going to launch in the next two months. so please email wow. us on marketing at com, and we will um, we will keep you updated about
0: that. Okay, awesome. So uh, for all the designers in the house, definitely reach out to them. Because, I mean, everyone knows the the reach of the brand that Shushi has built. So this could really sort of place you out there. A quick question here from Sabahat, who asks, uh, who inspires you? Do you have someone who inspires you? Someone you look up to, a mentor or someone?
1: Um. Oh my gosh, so many people inspire me. I don't have one particular person, but um, you know, I I think that uh, like from a from a from a business point of view, I think that uh, you know there are certain business leaders in uh, in India like Ratan Tata, for example. Um, he really inspires me. I think that the way he um, uh, you know the way he he always puts uh, the community first. Uh, i think before his own needs is and especially what he's done with the tata brand uh, and and made and you know built that idea of trust um, you know tanishk for example is a, is a tata brand and i have sure it's a jewelry brand and i've always loved it loved the way they have that that trust factor in 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 sure in their brand mm-hmm. you know and even though for me it's like you know it's not a competitor really because it's in the bridal jewelry space so. but uh, but i i always look at that and think you know one day you know i would like my customers to also uh think ha huh, you know have that like, level of trust yeah i right. have that level of trust right that mm. like nothing like trust hai, you know like no problem sure. um, mm. so i mean ratan tata i'd say you know probably hands down there are a lot of others okay. but you know from a business perspective yeah
0: sure okay uh make an illustration how did you get an idea to start people better she already answered this i think you might have joined late but if you um, watch the entire IGTV video, uh, we'll have it up on the Reach I V page, so you can watch it later. But she did talk about, you know, how jewelry and people Bella. So if you don't mind, make an illustration. Just catch that conversation there. Uh yeah, I, I want to touch a little bit about on the the pandemic and COVID. And I remember talking to you. Let's you know, rewind. Let's say five, six years ago. And I remember a lot of your manufacturing and your 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 largely your supply chain came from China. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when we spoke this afternoon, you talked like, you told me that you've completely sort of sidelined the China manufacturing, it's less than 10% of your business. Um, yeah, yeah, can you yeah. tell a little bit, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, you know, the manufacturing, um, yeah. has COVID affected, you know, the supply chain, What what is going yeah. on? And how how are businesses such as yours managing COVID? Yeah, Anika, that's exactly the question. Has COVID affected? Yeah, the business? that's it. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I think that basically, you know, I mean, COVID, is, COVID has affected everybody, right? I think it's I think it's, yeah. it's, a tough, uh, it's a tough time. Um, but I think that uh, in terms of, um, yeah, so I think the China-India thing, look, I think China, uh, it was getting difficult to do business with China, that's for sure. And I think that uh, from a variety of different, different aspects, I think one is that the product is very generic. Uh, and I don't think that it's like a lot of the designs are suited for the Indian uh, aesthetic. You know, um, I think Indian okay. women have a very specific aesthetic on the product side. I think quality is a big issue on in China. You know, it's very like, the kind of metal metal used is very cheap. Um, Indian manufacturers actually use a slightly more expensive metal, but it is it is um, much better in terms of quality. Uh and um and so, you know, we, we just we it was a very, you know, strategic decision to move all manufacturing to India. We've moved now ninety percent to India, uh only a small ten percent remains in China. Um and even that actually we want to move to India very soon. So we wanna be a hundred percent made in India brand in the next wow, okay. in this in this next one year. Yeah. Um yeah, and so like we're all
0: about that vocal for local
1: concept, wow, okay. you know, and, and I and
0: I think that and, and, uh, and you don't think in terms of like your cost structure or anything it's you know because the, the you know the philosophy I remember talking five six years ago was like obviously we you know we get our product from China it's much cheaper um, yeah yeah but that philosophy no I seems don't to have I evolved. don't think
1: so I don't think so I think that I think that you know Indian manufacturers can meet your price points um, you know and I think that they're actually easier to work with uh, you know Indian right. manufacturers are. Really understanding uh, uh, the the tastes and the kind of quality and the kind of finish that that, that I'm looking for, uh, and whereas you know I think China there's always that little bit of a language barrier there's a little bit of that sure. oh, you know there is um, uh, you know also I think that the way they work is very different in terms of the payments you know they want full upfront payments which is difficult uh, when you're when you're a, a, you know sure. company okay. that has to import so all, all of those things are, are you know are issues um and yeah i think with covid i mean it's become even more relevant right because i think with covid the whole i mean you know even with uh, with modi talking about self reliance i mean it's it's really mm-hmm. relevant for businesses right i think that you begin to realize that as a business you have to be self reliant you can't rely on uh, imports to run your com- to run your business um and uh, and you know like I mean, right now china imports are completely like They're not happening, yeah. Right, okay. Um, And so I think that, uh, I think in that sense, you know, just having your own manufacturing setup, having your own, uh, uh, you know, having something local is way better than, um, way better than importing. Uh, And pandemic, yes, COVID has, so COVID has not affected our demand, actually. In fact, I think that being an e-commerce company, uh, people want contactless deliveries, right? So people don't have the ability right now to go to to retail stores and to buy jewelry. Uh, and, and I think uh, people prefer- people just shopping, shopping
0: online on, now. Okay, Yeah,
1: people prefer shopping in the comforts of their home, right? Uh, okay. And so I think we haven't seen a drop in demand at all. In fact, we are probably at somewhere around 50-60% of pre-COVID levels already. Uh, and, you know, okay, we expect nice. to be at about 100% uh, by the end of this year. So uh, we okay. actually don't see that demand factor being compromised. Okay. I think on the supply side, yeah, probably, uh, you know, logistical delays, uh, things like that is where, you
0: know, some issues would come. In. Where some issues might pop up. Okay, yeah. great. Uh, I have a question here from Shalini Goenka who says, you know, uh, just in terms of the business model, were there any international companies or brands that inspired you to, you know, sort of, you know, did you model this after a company you saw, like, you know, you're talking a little bit about the companies in America. So are there any international brands or companies that, you know? Uh,
1: So no, not really. I mean, not. so I think that we we basically took a little bit from a lot of different companies in terms of the business model. So what we said was that, you know, okay, like, I think the U.S. has done a really good job of building D2C brands, which is uh, direct-to-consumer brands. Uh, you know rather than looking at a brand that is just a Mintra brand or a Amazon brand right where you're only selling and getting your revenue through an Amazon can you can you create a direct channel with the customer and Uh, I think a lot of uh, U.S. companies have done a fabulous job doing that you know whether it's uh, there's a company called Bonobos which is a a menswear line there's a company uh, called yeah uh, you could have
0: you could have just used their distribution networks and not Bothered with building your own sort of e-tailing network, but correct, correct, yeah. So I think
1: that I think that a lot of Indian brands still rely on an Amazon on Amazon and Flipkart, Flipkart, you know. And I think that again, that's where you know you have to take a call, right? Um, Mm. And we said that you know we want to be direct to consumer. Uh, so, and and that's why I think the inspiration from from the U.S. came. So there's you know brand like Bobby Parker, for example, which is a I see. Uh, which is a you know eyewear brand in the U.S. and uh, they're very much focused on uh, direct to consumer. Um, and so okay. I you okay. know I think it's it's a lot of different. Okay, so that's yeah. a lot of
0: elements. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, so someone had a question here about you know expansion plans. So we've got the story from like 2012 to 2020. Yeah. Uh, what 's the next decade looking like what, you know what 's on your mind since you 've now moved to sort of more vision and sort of forward thinking yeah, yeah. what what 's on your mind how do you How are you seeing the next decade panning off So I think technology would play a big role in the next decade for us um, we 're going to do some um,
1: i think the, in the next couple of years we 're going to do a lot of cool stuff around um, you know augmented reality uh, and uh, you know machine learning coming into uh, you know part of the part of the uh, the entire ecosystem in the conversion funnel that we talked about. So I think technology would play a big role. Um, I think what uh, we want to look at in the next few years uh, is is actually becoming more of an omni-channel brand. So thinking about uh, you know uh, how can we increase our presence? How can we increase the access of the brand to places where uh, the access is not possible, right? So if, since we've already focused a lot on the demand side and the customer acquisition side, how can we make sure that the brand gets to as many places as possible? Um, that's going to be the the area of focus for us. So whether that's offline stores, partnering with existing retailers, um, you know, creating um, the partnership opportunities, distribution opportunities for us, uh, either through franchising or our own, um, you know, distribution ship. Um, all of okay. those uh, questions are now going to come into play. Uh, over the Okay. Next
0: so, yeah. so, so broadly, it's like sort of expanding the consumer base yeah. and uh, really deep diving into metrics to understand your customer better and better. Yeah. So, of course, machine learning and and augmented reality and things like that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. This is this is like some, serious some cool strategy. stuff wow. out there, you know. Like there's some really cool stuff uh, in terms of what 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 what
1: brands can do these days, and um, I think consumers are are like sort of lapping it all up. So. Uh, sure it's a great time to be in the e-commerce business for sure.
0: Okay, great. Okay. So uh, Insta is giving me this sort of two minute countdown. Um, so I'm, I want to make sure I, I get enough time to thank you. Uh, firstly, guys, thanks all of you for tuning in. Lots and lots of questions today. Lots of compliments going towards Pippa and Bella today as well. Uh, thank you all for tuning in and for all your questions. And of course, guys, as you know, uh, Pippa and Bella is, fully functional and open and running, you know, they have all their designs up on their website. So most of you are already customers of theirs, but do check out their collection and uh, uh, support the brand. You know, these are tough times for everyone. So if you like their their designs, you like their styles, definitely go out and make your next purchase uh, this weekend. Uh, Thank you, Suji, for... You know, Viva you've been you're so there, awesome yeah. you're like you're like I'm gonna make you my next brand
1: ambassador like you're,
0: <laughs> you're, you're <laughs> like I, I am your brand ambassador, yeah, yeah you're like the perfect spokesperson I, I'm i totally your brand ambassador yeah. I, I will make sure I, I put on one of your pieces next time for my show yeah I'm sending but, you stuff uh, next time for sure I to- totally totally yeah. I'm totally a big fan you know I'm a big fan not not yeah. just of your brand but of you as well so Thank Likewise. you so much. I mean,
1: yeah, our, our conversations are, uh, and, and, and our coffee date is spending Once this lockdown coffee days, uh, pending, for ends, sure. we're we're gonna do that. So,
0: but you're really remarkable, Shashi. I'm I'm really inspired. Uh, and of course, I'm super proud. You know, with what you have done, it's a tough category to break into. It's a tough category to build out, and uh, you did it all. It's thank just you. eight years. So, you know, you have a, a cool twenty, thirty years coming up. But just fabulous. So, thank you so much thank for you. sharing all your thank you with so us. much. And, Thank you. So if thanks you, if you want lot. to just end, you can just end. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. For, thanks, Rabat. For Take care. Okay. Thank you. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, guys, uh, we have next session coming up with uh, a flamenco dancer uh, from India who actually went to Spain to study flamenco. And she is the pioneer of flamenco dancing here in India coming up next Saturday. Are there any fields that you guys really want to learn about? Um feel free to put it here in the chat or send us a message on Reach IV. And I hope you guys are enjoying the the House of Experts sessions. We're really trying our best to bring you, you know, experts from various domains. And for anyone who's still trying to figure out their careers and trying to understand, you know, who they are and where they are on this journey for themselves, uh, we've organized, uh, I actually am going to personally conduct goal-setting workshops starting this Saturday for three consecutive Saturdays. Um, I have uh, this Saturday coming up for high school students 8 to 12 graders next Saturday is for college students and Saturday August 16th is for young professionals um, so for anyone who's keen on goal setting for themselves and figuring out you know who, who they are and where they want to be please make sure you reach out to our team and sign up for the